was fun, and, and there's so many things in common between guys that love cycles and me. You know, I you know I had me a little Yamaha off-road or a little Enduro way back when I could ride without falling over. You know, and I enjoyed it. I was someday we get a bigger one. When when I, when we had the snowmobile team, I raced for Paps. Paps Paps to ribbon. They paid our way, okay? And we were Wisconsin, what the heck, you know? But one of the guys that was on the team, I found him, he had been a motorcycle racer for Harley, Harley Davidson. He was a flat tracker, and he was damn good at it. His name was Johnny Wiesner. And uh, Johnny became one of one of our stars on the on the Pabst team. I was never a great racer, but I had a lot of fun, and I could drink a lot of Pabst, you know? So what the heck? That was the voice of Larry Jorgensen, and this is Ted, your host here on the Motorcycle Men Podcast, and this is episode 309. It's Motorcycle Men. In today's interview, I have a chat with Larry Jorgensen. He's the author of the Coca-Cola Trail, and he's here to tell us about his book and some interesting sights to see in relation to the Coca-Cola Company. The Motorcycle Main Podcast is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. Now, they're offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. So to learn more, get on over to scorpionusa.com. And Shinko Tires. Now, Shinko has a tire to suit your needs and riding style without breaking your bank account. So go on over to Shinko Tire USA and make sure you tell them that the Motorcycle Men sent you. And Wild Ass Seats. Now, you can improve your comfort and ability to stay in the saddle longer with a cushion from Wild Ass Seats. So if you're tired of those painful pressure points and fatigue, go on over to wildass.com. That's wild-ass.com. And tell the real Craig Johnson that your ass hurts and you need a cushion. So he's going to get you your cushion today. Let's go to wild-ass.com. And, of course, Uclear Digital Helmet Communications. You can enhance your ride with Uclear's DynaMesh-compatible intercom. Powerful music and crystal clear phone calls on any road, any trail, and on any helmet. A very portable system. Do that with your other systems. You can't. To learn more, go to uclearedigital.com and tell them that the Motorcycle Man podcast sent you. And of course, as always, our good friends from Tobacco Motorwear. For the best in casual riding gear for men and women, there's only one place you should be going, and that is Tobacco Motorwear. So go on over and visit them at TobaccoMotorWear.com, and our listeners will get 10% off your order when you use the code MOTOMEN when you order. Get in Dave's pants. That's right. Get on over there to Tobacco Motorwear. Your safety is worth it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Motorcycle Man podcast. Dor- joining me tonight, here all the way from the lovely state of Louisiana, Mr. Larry Jorgensen. Larry, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Ted. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun to be with you and, and to share some stories. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to speaking. Now, Larry, you wrote a book called The Coca-Cola Trail. In fact, there's two parts to that book. Uh, which we're going to talk about. So why don't you uh, first give us a little bit information about yourself and who you are and what you do. 
Well, the book, I guess we could summarize in, in a couple sentences. The book is about people and places in the history of Coca-Cola. No, it's not about Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, there's probably been 200 of those written. This is about places you can hop on your cycle and go see something really neat that was Coca-Cola history. And while you're looking at it or while you're enjoying it, going into it, we're going to tell you what it was and, and what it is now. How did I get into it? Well, uh, you know, I'm an old news dog. I was brought up in a weekly newspaper. I was oh. in radio and television and all that good stuff. Really? And, and so, you know, I, I do what news dogs do. I write history. I wrote, write, you know, nonfiction. And I was doing a what I thought would be a travel feature because there's a, a Coca-Cola museum uh, not far from here in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And there's another one in Monroe, Louisiana. Some great Coca-Cola history. And I thought... Put that together, it's a good little travel jaunt where one day hit both museums and, you know, learn a little bit. Well, I get to the second museum, meet some people who've been involved in Coca-Cola bottling since the first time it was bottled, their family. And I was told, hey, this is all over the country. Yeah. What, what you're doing is everywhere. And next thing I do, I'm, I'm on the trail of a book, not a feature article. Wow. So, that's how it happened. Oh, so so it, it was. It wasn't really like you had some inspiration to just write the book. You just happened to fall into it. Exactly. Wow. I didn't. I didn't get. I didn't get the book. It got me. But uh, it's been. It's really been an experience. I'm not a Coca-Cola collector, and boy, there's a thousands and thousands of memorabilia collectors. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm not really a big drinker of Coca-Cola. You know, it's not the thing that I have to have every day, although lately I've gotten pretty fond of their new Coca-Cola coffee drink. <laughs> what? But, uh, you know, it wasn't because of any of those things. It was just I was looking for a story to tell somebody and, <laughs> and ended up doing a couple books. You know? Oh, wow. So, uh, so briefly, what, so what's the book about then? Is it about the history of Coca-Cola? Well, in a way, you see, um, it's about the people who thought, young entrepreneurs, you know, who said, you know, this Coca-Cola thing is, is kind of taken off. Maybe I can start bottling it. So it was about how these families got into it and what they had to go through. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 1900. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, mechanism was do it with your foot, push the lever, you know. Yeah. Um, so the story is about them, and they're all over the United States. Uh, it's interesting. In fact, I was I was looking at uh, some some history of Wisconsin uh, because the Coca Cola collectors are going to be there next uh, July. Wow. And to find out, the first Coca Cola plant in Wisconsin was in 1904 in a little bitty town called Rhinelander, you know. So, I mean, it just, people got got hooked on this idea that maybe this will be something good, and they got into it. Right. Um, you know, the ironic thing, Ted, is when when Coca-Cola first came out, it was the syrup. Yeah, you yeah. know, old John Pemberton, he invented the syrup, and uh, he thought, this is what we're going to sell the syrup, you know. And when he was approached, like about eight years after he had invented the syrup, to bottle it, 
two, two ambitious young men in Chattanooga who thought bottling it was a good idea. He thought it was a stupid idea. He told him. <laughs> yeah. He told him. Oh, he said, I'm bottling Coca-Cola. No, no, I'm making the syrup. They they serve it over the fountains, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and he really chased them away. They were determined, and they went back to him again. And I think he just got tired of hearing their story. <laughs> Probably. They, and what they wanted was the rights, the exclusive rights, to bottle Coca-Cola throughout the United States. You know, well, he knew that at that time it was already being done by this fellow in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Yeah. So he couldn't give them the rights, you know, right, although exactly. he hadn't really authorized Vicksburg, you know. Uh -huh. So what he did, he sold them the rights to the United States, except Mississippi, for $1. They got the exclusive rights wow. to bottle Coca-Cola for a buck. And it said that he didn't even bother to collect the dollar. He just wanted to get rid of them. Wow. And, and he told them when they left, he said, this is a dumb idea. Um, he said, if um, if it doesn't work, I don't want you to come crying back to me. I'm going to move <laughs> over here just a second. Sure, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just got a note that I needed to turn the computer. To charge up my computer a little bit, so we're back in. The, <laughs> okay. I don't want to die in the middle of this thing. Okay. I said, so, well, listen. Let me ask you this. So the the book. Would you say the book is largely about the Biedenhorn family and their impact on the Coca Cola name? Well, it starts out with the Biedenhorn family. Yeah. Uh, what happened, Joe Biedenhorn, and he's the guy in Vicksburg. Sure. He he was selling the syrup in glasses across his candy store fountain. And he also was distributing the syrup in gallons to other soda fountains. He was a wholesale distributor, as right. they say. And uh, he, you know, he, he, a situation came up where he thought, if I could bottle this stuff, I mean, this is 1895. Right, you know, yeah. If I could bottle this stuff, I could get it to the folks in the country. You know, and in those days, it wasn't an easy jaunt to town on your on your Harley. No. You know? So, um, so he decided that he would try to bottle it, and he went to St. Louis and he bought a bottling machine. I guess you could call it hand operated, because in those days they were bottling sodas. You know, yeah. uh, lemon and orange and sarsaparilla. So he bought one of those machines, brought it back to Vicksburg and started bottling Coca-Cola. He sent his first two cases to Atlanta, to, to Mr. Candler, who then owned Coca-Cola syrup. And uh, Candler, you know, thought, well, it's okay. He, he's, a, he's a good customer of mine. Go ahead and do it. But he wasn't really impressed with the idea of bottling it, you know. And old Joe said that, uh, you know, he said he didn't even send my bottles back. But anyhow, that was the start of Biedenhorn, and he was the first one to do it. Well, he, he had five brothers, and um, I think he was, they were all looking for something to do. And the one older brother, uh, Ollie, really got into this Coca-Cola thing, and he started going, reading up on it, going to the, the meetings and that. And he came back, and he told Joe, he said, Joe, we, this is going to happen. We got to get more Coca-Cola plants. So the next thing is they bought a little bottler in Monroe, Louisiana. That's how we get to right, Monroe. Right. 
and they bought him and they made him a Coca-Cola bottler. So the next thing you know, the Biedenheim boys are all over the, the deep south buying bottling plants, making them Coca-Cola plants. And at one time, that whole operation, the Biedenheim Coca-Cola bottling operation, was like the sixth largest independent bottler in the country. Wow. Um, wow. Ultimately, they finally did sell everything to Coca-Cola corporate. Right. Um, you know, but it, they had it for a long time. And, you know, and, and to this day, in fact, the foreword in my first book, is written by Randy Mayo. Randy is currently a Coca-Cola bottler in Texas. He has two plants. He is the great, yeah. great grandson of Mr. Biedenhardt. Yeah. Fourth so the generation Coca-Cola bottler, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the Biedenhardt family is still in one way or another. They're bottling Coca-Cola. Wow. But, uh, Fascinating. So, but the book is not just, the first two chapters yeah. are about are about that. But then we digress. We talk about the guys in Chattanooga, you know, and that, Ted, yeah. that's how the whole thing took off. These guys, these two, they were lawyers, by the way. Might be. <laughs> Figures, they, were right? <laughs> they went back to Chattanooga, okay, and they got the rights to bottle Coca Cola all over the United States, okay? So, and between the two of them, they got $1,500. Jeez. They're, like, they're like, wait a minute, how are we going to do this? You know, they set up a bottling plant, and, you know, and the bottles are exploding and things. It's just chaos. You know, it's funny because I'm looking through this, and I, yeah. always, I, I counted, I, I counted the, the, the bottling, the bottlers in here, and there's, about, there's only like about maybe, I think, eight states that are mentioned in here, and, and they're all in, in the central United States. They're all right down there in the Midwest. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're the south of the, and the southeast. Cause, yeah. I mean, Coca-Cola started in Atlanta. Right. So, But what happened, the guys in, in, going back to the guys in Chattanooga, they got the rights to the whole country, and they got $1,500. <laughs> so so all of a sudden, they say, wait a minute. Yeah. We got the rights. Right. So they start, you know, today we call it franchising, right? You, you know, you yeah. sell a dealership for... Yamaha or who, whatever, anyhow. Yeah. Uh, so they start cutting up the country. Okay, you want to you want to bottle Coca Cola in Paducah, Kentucky? Fantastic. We'll sell you fifty miles range of Paducah. That's your territory. It's only yours, and you could bottle Coca Cola there. However, these were wise old guys. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Typical lawyers. They uh, when you bought the territory. You had to use Coca-Cola syrup to make your Coca-Cola. Yeah. So you would order your Coca-Cola syrup from Atlanta, Georgia, and you would get the syrup delivered to you. However, for every gallon of Coca-Cola syrup you bought, the guys that sold you the territory got a commission on that. Ah, look at that. See? Not too shabby, okay? Wow. And yet so, the, the guy who created the syrup gets nothing out of this. Yeah, I got that one out of it. <laughs> so, so that that is what really set off Coca-Cola bottling in the country. Right. I mean, people saw these guys. People were making money. There were these little plants, you know, and, and it just it took off. Yeah. And the that's, this is what the book's about. Yeah. At one time, you know, there were like 1,200 companies in the United States bottling Coca-Cola. Wow. And 
but what happened as as you know business goes man things consolidate big companies get bigger small sure, companies sure yeah out. um in the early days if you had a coca-cola plant in vicksburg you probably also had one in Tallulah, you know because it was 50 miles away and it was a long ways yeah, yeah well yeah. the highways got better right. you see the big semis booging down the road now yep. you know um they're hauling Coca-Cola. You've got, for example, right here in the South, Coca-Cola United out of Birmingham. They're the third largest Coca-Cola bottler. They have seven states. They serve all seven states with six bottling plants. You know, so it's it's that. Wow, see, I had no idea it was that big. Wow. Well, and you got over, over in Carolina. You got the second largest. You got oh, Coca-Cola no consolidated. You know, wow. And they're in Charlotte, okay, and they are the second largest. So a lot of the plants really have become nothing more than warehouses to distribute. Right. Yeah. And, and but the the thing with the book is what happened to the other plants. Exactly. This, yeah. This is where we get into, you know, like where can you go and see a plant. And get in there. What what is it now? Maybe it's a brew pub. Maybe right. maybe it's a museum. You know, maybe it's a little mini mall. What we tried to concentrate on the book is not Coca Cola plants that now are the offices for a bunch of accountants. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Coca Cola plants that are worth seeing. You know, the one in Paducah. It's a beautiful plant. They've restored it. It's great. There's a pizza joint in there. There's a, a little gift store. There's a, uh, a bookstore. I mean, you know, it's, it's a little mall. You could go yeah. in there. They have entertainment. Um, some of the Coca-Cola plants have actually been converted into uh, entertainment centers. Uh, people wow. can, can you know, have your wedding there, have your class reunion. Oh, no kidding. Oh, wow. wow. So those are the kind of places that we talk about in the book. Okay. And, and of course, you know, when you're riding down the road and you see a big Coca-Cola mural, we talk about the murals. Yeah, too. we're going to get into that. Well, as far as it goes for the trail itself, the the original bottlers that you talk about here in the book, this trail, how many how many states or how many bottlers make up this trail? You're you're breaking up, Ted. I'm losing you. I'm um, sorry. How many bottlers make up the trail in the book? Probably the number of bottlers is around, probably, I've never counted it, but I would say less than 30. Okay. Uh, because nationally, there's only like less than 70 bottling entities right. that bottle Coca-Cola. Okay. For example, Coca-Cola Consolidated uh, in the Carolinas is, is an entity, you know. Yeah. They got plants and buildings all over the place. But they're one entity, and there's only there's less than seventy of oh, okay. those well, in existence. Okay. Now, one of the things I want to talk about is the by the title of the book, some people may think that the Coca-Cola Trail is an actual trail, but you know we know well, it's well, not. But uh, but could somebody make like a tour of all these destinations? Absolutely. Oh, okay. And I have had um, emails from people that have told me. And they're probably avid Coca-Cola collectors or whatever. Right. But they have said, hey, I'm planning my summer trip around a lot of places that you mentioned in the book. Oh, really? Okay. So, 
Well, yeah, you you know, get the get the book. Where are you going? If you, if you want to, you know, if you've got a summer trip planned, and you know you're going to be in certain states, look at the book. There's probably something nearby. At least now we go. We got a story in in California. Yeah. Oh, okay. Placerville, California. Great story out there, and and a, a building that you can still see. That the last time I checked, it was kind of a neat coffee house and, and sandwich. Shop, really? but it's got unique architecture. It, it, it was built into one of the uh, mines out there. That was gold mining country, you know, and uh, so it, it has some unique history, and and the town has some tremendous history. So you can go to these towns and not only see the Coca-Cola history, but there's a lot of other good stuff to see while you're there. Right now, if anybody wanted to visit these locations, what would they see if they got there? Or when they got there? What would I'm, I'm sorry, I lost you on the question. Okay, now, well, if somebody like decided to go on a tour and visit some of these locations, what would they see when they got there? Well, it would depend where they went. For example, um, if you went to uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, okay, what you're going to see there is a great museum. And why Terre Haute? Because Terre Haute is where the Coca-Cola bottle was invented. Oh, okay. Wow. The bottle that we know as a Coca-Cola bottle. And there's a, a story behind that, which we right. tell in this book. And, and Terre Haute makes a big deal out of it. They have a festival every year in honor of the Coca-Cola bottle. Oh, wow. The, the town has got all kinds of displays around town. And the museum itself has got a lot of Coca-Cola memorabilia. But if you go to Terre Haute, you're, you're going into a community that wants to talk about Coca-Cola. I mean, I, I've got a grocery store there. In fact, just talked to him yesterday. He's been selling the book in the grocery store, and he's been selling it for four years. <laughs> well, good, that's good for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's good for you. Well, speaking, of, well, well, speaking of the bottle, well, tell us about the bottle itself. I mean, that's uh, among collectors, that's a real hot topic. It is, and, and I can tell you about one that was worth a lot of money. What happened back in um, the early 1900s, you know, Coca-Cola got popular, and there was knockoff became the thing, you know. So everybody was making a drink, and they were calling it a cola. It might have been cola with a K. It might have been churro cola, whatever it was. RC cola. Bottling it, it was whatever bottle you could get your hands on. Yeah, you know? yeah. So the consumer would go into the store, he'd see something that said cola on it. Ah, that's it. He'd buy it. Well, Coca-Cola said, this has got to stop. They went to the glass manufacturers in the country and they said, we want a bottle. It's going to be our bottle. When you pick it up, you know it's Coca-Cola. Right. And and we challenge you and the winner is going to have the rights to make the Coca-Cola bottle. So there were six bottling companies that took on the challenge. And one of them was the Root Glass Company in Terre Haute, Indiana. Okay. So in 1915, they had this big Coca-Cola bottlers convention. And all the people that had, the companies that had made their prototypes brought them to the convention. The, uh, the one that was designed by the root company in Terre Haute ended up winning, okay? They became the bottle. Now, 
and, and we'll digress to the color in a minute, but I got to tell you the story about the expensive bottle. After that convention, Coca-Cola said, we want all the bottles destroyed wow. except, except one, which we want in the archives. Okay, so that was a deal. Well, it so happened that one of the six, besides the one that went to the archives, I say escaped, but it, it ended up being in the hands of one of the guys who was a designer at the Root Glass Company, and it was handed down through his family. Nobody knew this oh, wow. until a few years ago, and all of a sudden, at this estate sale in California, here comes this surviving bottle. It went for $150,000. Wow. I don't know about you, Ted, but I can remember when I was a kid, I'd, I'd get them for two cents. Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, man. And the reason we know that that was the bottle, on the bottom of the bottle was the date 1915. Coca-Cola never started using that bottle until 1960. Wow. So see? that was the survival. Wow, you talk about a treasure. Oh, my God. Yeah, I tried to find out who's got it. I couldn't find They wouldn't wow. tell me. <laughs> wow. Hey, let's let's talk about the Coca-Cola signs. Now, the, the, the wall-painted signs, they were typical in, in the past years. And I, I believe some of them were on some of the buildings, the bottling companies as well. But are they? Do they exist anymore? Did they what? Do they? Do those painted wall signs exist anymore? Oh yeah! In fact, it's you. You show me another company where citizens and and individuals are paying money to restore their advertising, yeah. and that's what that's what's happened. I mean, the Coca Cola sign, the mural has become a part of, of history in so many towns. Sure. And we write, we write about it in the book. I think one of the ones that to me was the most fascinating was the one in uh, Albion, Michigan. The, the sign had been painted over an old building that was hanging over the Kalamazoo River. And it cost over $50,000 between the city of Albion and the state of Michigan to restore that sign, first of all, the building was in bad shape, right. and then it, it's hanging over the Kalamazoo River. But that meant so much to that city and the people of that city that they had to have it restored. Right. And that's just one, it's all over the place. Um, you know, there's uh, Northbridge, North, uh, Minnesota, there's one. I mean, I, I'll give you a, a, the best one is the one in, in uh, Georgia where it was the first, actually the first outdoor Coca-Cola mural ever painted. It was on the side of a building, a pharmacy. Yes, and yes. In the pharmacy, the guy was serving Coca-Cola, you know, the syrup over the, the thing. And, and the salesman came in to sell him some gallons of syrup. And the salesman said, can I put a sign on the outside of your building? I can paint, too. So the guy said, yeah, go ahead, do it. <laughs> so he painted this sign. And the ironic thing is he painted the nice big Coca-Cola logo and all that. And he painted the words, drink Coca-Cola. But he forgot the R in drink. Okay. <laughs> Later, 
because it was, in fact, the first Coca-Cola outdoor mural. The guy that ultimately owned the building wanted it restored. He hired a couple artists to come in and restore it. So when they restored it, they put the R in drink. Okay. Oh, really? <laughs> well, it is, in fact, I'm trying to find the name of the town for you, but it's in Georgia, and it, it was on CNN. I mean, it, when it was restored, it was a big deal. Yeah. Now, there's, yeah. There, there's another one in Oberlaka, Alabama, Okay. and that one is the oldest unrestored. Oh, okay. Mural. So is it, and, a, is it a ghost sign now? Is it a what? A ghost sign. No, it's not. We get into ghost sign. This sign it had been painted on the side of a building. Yeah. And then the, it was a hardware store. Okay. And it was built onto the hardware store, and they built a wall in front of the sign. Okay. So, like about five years ago, they're tearing down this wall, and here's this, I mean, this prestige Coca-Cola sign. It's beautiful. And they got checking it out, and they got checking with Coca-Cola, and it is, without a doubt, the oldest, unrestored, and it's in beautiful shape, Coca-Cola mural in the country. And they had a big celebration, and, and it's in my book. We, they, they were giving away, uh, the guy that owned the hardware store was giving out nickels, and for a nickel, you could go buy a Coca-Cola. You know, oh, that's it was, awesome. It was a party. <laughs> You know, if you show me, Ted, another company with advertising that that cities, people, whatever, are paying money to preserve their advertising. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You don't don't see it. No. And, you know, I've asked why. And it's a simple thing. People will tell me. It's a memory. When I was a kid, I drank Coca-Cola, and I remember that sign. It's such a pleasant memory. You know, it's the same thing. Why do guys collect beer cans or Coca or, or beer signs or whatever? Because it's a happy memory. Right, exactly. And Coca-Cola is a happy memory. Yeah. And, you know, people will tell me, oh, I remember when I was a kid, the plant used to be across the street. And I'd go watch the bottles go around, and I'd get, you know, bring me a bottle outside, you know. Yeah. And that, it's just all that good stuff that Coca-Cola has done through the years. Yeah. Now, so on this, on this uh, trail, like I said, if somebody were to go to all these locations, would they see this signage, these Coca-Cola oh, signs yeah. and these bottles? and th- They would see that at each one of these locations? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of places that have got it. Oh, good. And, and one of the most unique ones... Um, is in Minnesota. It's in, um, uh, I'll think of it in a minute, <laughs> a town in Minnesota. In fact, I've got it written down here. Um, uh, where the Coca-Cola mural has been reproduced on the side of a uh, hardware store. Right. And what's unique about the mural, the mural represents a painting that was done by an internationally, he became an internationally famous wildlife artist. The guy's name was Colba, and he started out his young career painting Coca-Cola logos on buildings, on trucks, and so forth. Right. At the end of his career, when he'd become a world-famous wildlife artist, he did a painting 
and it shows him in in different stages of his life in this one painting. It shows him as a kid sitting on a bucket watching him paint the sign on the side of an old grocery store. And on the front of that grocery store, there he is again carving a duck. Okay, so it's all, and it's such a fantastic oh, wow. mural. It wasn't even a mural, it was just a piece of art. Right. That this um, sign painter in Hutchinson, that's where Hutchinson, Minnesota, was, was so enamored with it that he wanted to create a mural of the of the sign. Wow. And and he created the mural on the side of that building. And it honors that painting of that artist, you know, who later went on to become a world famous yeah. wildlife artist, you know. A, a neat story about him. Uh he got to the point and we talk we talk about it in the second book. He had painted the Coca-Cola logo so many times, and he would tell people, I could do it upside down and backwards. And <laughs> when he became a famous artist, he would go to you know, a Ducks Unlimited or whatever banquet, and he'd grab a tablecloth, and he'd paint the Coca-Cola side logo upside down and backwards, and they'd auction it off. <laughs> well, what happened? Everybody knows that logo, right? That script Sure, logo. yeah. When he was... He's still painting Coca-Cola signs. He went to Tifton, Georgia. And the Coca-Cola bottler had hired him to paint a Coca-Cola sign on a baseball field. You know how you do. Here's the backdrop. So he said, sure, he'd do it. So he goes to Tifton, Georgia, and he's going to paint this. And he tells the bottler, he said, yeah, I have painted that logo so many times. He said, it really needs to be touched up a little bit. He said, it needs a little more depth. It, it just needs a little tweaking. Would you mind if I do that? And the bottler said, I don't care. Go ahead and do it. Well, he did it. He put it on the wall of that baseball park. The bottler was so impressed, he called the guys in Atlanta. You know, I mean, Atlanta to Tifton is no big journey, you know. Sure. And you got to come see this. So the corporate people from Atlanta, from Coca-Cola Corporate, go to Tifton, Georgia, and they look at the logo. And they're like, boy, it's better, isn't it? It's a lot better. They go back to Georgia. They they come back to Tifton two, day, two days later. They got a big fat check and a contract. And they bought the rights from that artist to use the Coca-Cola wow, logo. Wow, see? Look at that, see? Wow. That's amazing. And, and you know what, Ted? Very few people know that. Very few people think that the logo is what it's always been. The logo is the logo. So, logo. now, what year did that happen? That must have been about 19... I should have the book handy here. I think that was in the 40s. Wow, okay. Wow, see? Who, who knew? I didn't know that. That's interesting. No, I, it's, it's one of these... I found it because of the guy who did the, the sign. Yeah. On the on the store on the hardware store in Hutchison, and that directed me to the artist who is now dead, but to his gallery and to talking sure. to his people. And when I told them what I was doing, they told me the story. So I went and looked it up, and sure enough, he's the guy. Wow, you know? that's interesting. It's interesting. They when I did 
done the books, people said, well, did you get a lot of help from Coca-Cola archives? No. In fact, I tried to avoid that. Yeah, I can understand and, why. And, and the story that I just told you, they didn't have it in Coca-Cola archives. Oh. Archives knew that they had paid some money to this guy, but they weren't sure why or how it all happened. <laughs> they didn't know why they paid him. Oh, so I, gave him I gave him some info, you know. Yeah. And, and that's been the fun part. I don't want it to be something that, you know, you can go to the Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta, which is a huge, wonderful museum, and you can get all this canned Coca-Cola information. I want to dig in the trenches, you know? Oh, yeah, get yeah. The, get the good stuff. Are, are there any of the original bottling locations that grab your attention more than others? Well, there's, a, there's really a neat one, uh, and it's still a distributor. They're not bottling. It's in Minden, Louisiana. Okay. And it, in the book, it's a, the building. It just looks like an old-time bottling plant, which it was at one time. Mm -hmm. it is, and it's a little town. I don't know what their territory is. It can't be huge, but they still distribute Coca-Cola. Right. They, who knows? They, I'm sure they get it from Coca-Cola United out of Birmingham, and that probably comes from New Orleans. Right. But it, it is so neat because the building is still there. They're still doing Coca-Cola, and they are the only, in the state of Louisiana, the only independent Coca-Cola, still family-owned. It's the same oh, really? family. Oh, really? The, the same family that started that back in 1900-whatever is still the family that's running that little business. Oh, wow. Coca-Cola. So that impressed me. You know, I, I think some of the other ones that impressed me um, – where you, if you want to go see stuff, you know, for example, if you go to, if you go to, we talked about Paducah, and when I visited the plant in Paducah, I mean, the license plates on cars were from all over, oh, really? and there is a mural along the Ohio River that's got a, a, a painting of the plant when it was the day it opened, you know, right. the big opening. It's a beautiful mural. So you've got that, and you've got just a tremendous thing to see. But you've got, for example, if you go to Mobile, Alabama, yeah. one of the big tourist attractions in Mobile, Alabama, is a place called Bellingrath Gardens. Probably a lot of the people that are listening to us have been there. It's a big it's a big uh, garden area, and they have all Japanese gardens and everything. But the whole thing was started by Walter Bellingrath. And Walter Bellingrath was a Coca-Cola bottler in the early 1900s who he and his brother set out to, to build Coca-Cola bottling plants in Alabama and throughout the area. And he, he what happened is his, his doctor told him one time he wasn't feeling well. His doctor said, Walter, you gotta, you gotta go fishing. He gotta do something. <laughs> Take a break. <laughs> right. well, he goes out onto the Gulf and he buys this piece of property. It becomes his fishing camp. Well, you know, Mrs. Bellingrath has more plans than that. She sees a garden, and the next thing, this garden evolves, and it's huge. I went there; it's beautiful. Right. You know, if you're, if you're in the gardens and that kind of stuff, and they have big Christmas celebrations. Oh, they, nice. There's a there's a Japanese garden 
a huge Japanese garden, and it's got one of these pagoda-type structures in it. And on it, there's a big red circle, and there's Japanese words. Man, man, I said, what is that circle? I said, in Japanese, it says, drink Coca-Cola. <laughs> well, there you go. Great place to visit, you know, yeah. Mobile, Alabama. You've got, um, I made me some notes, I wouldn't forget some of these. Uh, you've got, for example, in uh, Aliceville, Alabama. The City Museum in Aliceville, Alabama, used to be a Coca-Cola bottling plant. Oh, wow. When it, when it was consolidated to a company in, in Mississippi, when they closed that bottling plant, they said, we're going to give it to the city for a museum because the city had a terrible museum. So they have this museum. Well, one of the things they said, we're going to give it to you, but we want a place in that museum for Coca-Cola bottling equipment to remain. Ah. So people can go and see. And there's a beautiful Coca-Cola bottling line set up in there as it would have been wow. in those days. Well, the other neat thing about Aliceville, Alabama, during the Second World War, Aliceville, Alabama was one of the biggest U.S. camps for prisoners of war. Oh, wow. See, I didn't know that. Well, well the museum also has a lot about that in it. And what is really neat is, you know, remember during the Second World War, sugar became a problem. And a lot of the bottlers really were limited. Yeah. But because... The Coca-Cola plant in Aliceville, Alabama, made Coca-Cola also for the POW camp, uh -huh. which not only was it our soldiers there, but it was all these German soldiers that had been captured. They got all the sugar they needed, and they ran 24 hours a day to keep the Coca-Cola going out to the prisoner wow. of war. And the, so many of the German prisoners were so impressed because they thought, man, they a prisoner of war. We're going back to the United States, and that's it. We'll be gone, you know. And here they go to this place in Aliceville, Alabama. They get Coca-Cola. They get treated well. Many of them never went back to Georgia. They stayed in Alabama, you know. Why? Coca-Cola was part of it. You oh, know? wow. See? Well, it's a great that's museum. Awesome. Another place, there's a great museum. There is in um, Cedar Town, Georgia. There was an old falling down Coca-Cola plant. In fact, the city wanted to tear it down. Yeah. There so happened in Cedartown, there was a young man who was an avid Coca-Cola collector. And he had all kinds of stuff. And fortunately, he got his father addicted to this thing. Okay. And dad seemed to also have a few dollars. And they bought the plant. They bought this falling down Coca-Cola cola plant and it is now a great coca-cola museum wow and that? he can he took all his stuff and they've gone out and they've bought stuff and there's coca-cola vehicles old delivery trucks wow and really you walk in there is a coca-cola soda phone huge soda phone sure yeah that was bought in england oh, no kidding. and bought wow. over here for that museum you know, oh, that's Dad, 
Danny obviously became equally addicted to the project. Oh, uh, sure. They're great, they're great people, and it's a fun museum to see, and it's in Cedartown, Georgia, you know. Wow. Um, what other, now, let's, let, briefly, let's get into this. Uh, you, now, you have a second book also, the part two of this one. Right. Now, does that cover similar things as the first one? Absolutely. In fact, we're talking about the Albion thing. Yeah, uh, that's in the second book. You know, it's it's kind of neat. The the building we're talking about that building is hanging over the Kalamazoo sure, River, right? And before it became what it is now, uh, it was the lower level was a um, piano dealership. Okay. Oh wow! Okay. The river, the river got this huge flood, and it flooded. The piano dealership would flood them out of business. But one of the things, a couple of pianos floated down the river. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, and I don't know if it's true or not, but they say a, a fisherman on the Kalamazoo River, when he saw one of those pianos floating by, he said, well, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. <laughs> That's so, right. and, and if you go to Albion, they are making a real effort to restore historic things in that city so that's worth a trip you know wow that's great that's if you're in music philadelphia mississippi okay uh how about marty stewart i don't know if you know marty stewart yeah 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 he's the pride and joy of philadelphia mississippi well they took an old coca-cola plant and it is now a museum that is a marty stewart museum oh no kidding through his career, Marty has collected everything from Johnny Cash boots to who knows what. Right. The towers and so forth. And it's in this museum, which also has a performance area oh, wow. and where people can go in. It's great. And it's an old Coca-Cola plant in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. So here you got something used to be Coca-Cola. If you like country music and Marty Stewart, I like Marty. I think he's cool, you know. Yeah. And, you know, Connie Smith ain't too bad either. But anyhow. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a good example of the book will take you not only to Coca-Cola, but it's going to take you to places that spin off because Coca-Cola was there. Well, yeah, you talk about that in your book, you know, about the other attractions that you would see on the trail. Uh, give us an example of some of that stuff. Well, that was that was a pretty good example there. Yeah. Um, you you've got. I'll tell you what. If you go to Ocala, Florida, there is in Ocala a very unique Coca-Cola building. It used to be a plant. It is the Spanish Mission architecture, oh. and it'll it'll just blow you over. And it's used now uh, as an event center. You know, you can have a party there or an event or entertainment or what. But that's definitely worth seeing. Sure. And again, they talk about, you know, the, the, the glass bottom boats. Yeah. That happened from Ocala. Oh, really? I didn't and, know that. And Coca-Cola's, one of their big challenges was to make sure they got enough Coca-Cola out to that tourist attraction at Ocala. You know, so, I mean... There's there's a, a plant in um, well we were talking I'll give you a good one you know we were talking about Terre Haute and the Root family you yeah, know that right. invented the bottle 
Well, they after they invented the bottle, they also realized that putting Coca-Cola in those bottles was making money. And they became a big bottler, too, one of the biggest bottlers in the United wow. States. Oh, wow. Okay. Ultimately, they moved... The Chapman Root was the, the founder of this. Right. As it turned out, it was supposed to be passed on to his son, who was killed in an airplane crash. So his grandson, Chapman Root, a uh, different middle initial, which I, I can't recall, but also Chapman Root, then took over the plant. And they're still in Terre Haute. Well, what happens? A fire at Chapman's house. And you know, basically destroys the house. Chapman says, all right, we're getting out of here. We're going to rebuild, but we're, we're moving south, guy, you know. And they moved to Day- Daytona Beach. Oh, wow. How about that? Okay. So continued to be a big Coca-Cola bottle. They had, they had plants on, in uh, islands in the Caribbean. You know, they were big. Wow, I didn't know um, that. They... Uh, Consequently, there is, where do I, what do you want to see? There's a museum uh, in Daytona Beach. It's the Museum of Arts and Science. Sure. And there's one whole wing of that museum that is dedicated not only to Coca-Cola, but to the Root family. Ah. The, the Roots, now, if, if you're into racing, you know, you've been to Indy maybe, right? Well, how about Indy and the Sumar cars, Pat O'Connor, you know, and those guys? That was that was that was Chapman Root. That oh, was wow. his cars, okay. Yeah. And and some of those cars, I think the best they finished was fifth at Indy. But they had the they they were the ones that brought out the streamlined cars for Indianapolis for the five hundred. Well, there's some of those cars sitting in that museum. Also in that museum. And this is, in, a, this is in Daytona. Yeah, Daytona Beach. Wow. Museum of Arts and Science, okay? And there is a whole wing that represents the Root family and Coca-Cola and their involvement. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Mrs. Root was a collector. So, I mean, it's more than just Coca-Cola. They, For example, they had their own, in those days, you traveled a lot by rail. They had their own cars, right? Yeah. Their own rail cars. So there's a couple of those in the museum. Well, Chapman Root's son, who now would be what the great the grand the great grandson of Chapman Senior, who invented the bottle, sure. his name is his name is Preston Root. If you, it hasn't been that long since he used to be on the uh, the radio network for NASCAR racing. He was a commentator on that. Ah. Did the cool. Preston route and and even Preston has dabbled a little bit in IndyCar racing and he's a great guy. Yeah. The, the neat thing, uh, I had the chance to talk to him a couple times in doing the book, and of course, and I love Indy. I think IndyCar racing is, and that's a whole other story, another book. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, I had heard when I was doing the story on Terra Haute that when their house burned down. There was a bottle, a Coca-Cola bottle, that was saved from that house that had sort of had warped. And it was the leading, the leading bottle of Coca-Cola. So I asked Preston, I said, is that true? He said, yes, it is. He said, we have an office here at Ormond Beach, and it's in a case in my office. 
and he took a picture of it. It's in my book. Oh, it's wow. The, That's cool. It's the, the tilting bottle of Coca-Cola that uh, came from the the root home in Terre Haute, Indiana. Oh, you know, that's awesome. Great people. They're, and they have continued to do awesome things. They've sold off the plants, you know, as a lot of a lot of the Coca-Cola bottlers did. But they have continued to do so many great things in Orlando and in Florida, donate to community projects. It's just, again, it's that Coca-Cola money yeah. doing things, doing yeah. good things for people, you know. That's awesome. It's just, it is, and, and and that would be a great museum to go through. Uh, I haven't had the chance, but I've gotten a lot of pictures, and uh, it's as they say, it's it's on the bucket list. Well, I'll know? tell you what, Daytona Bike Week is actually coming up. So if you're going to be in Daytona during Bike Week, you get, you got to hit the Coca Cola Museum down there. There you go, hit the Museum there. there. So how go can people over. learn more about the Coca Cola Trail in your book? Well, I mean, I'd like to encourage them to buy a copy or two, you know, and that. <laughs> The simplest way is to go to the website, which is the CocaColaTrail.com. Now you're going to find the book. You're not. It's not on Amazon, and I have a thing about Amazon. The authors, you know, do a lot of work, and Amazon makes the money. So and I, I just I thought I could do the work, and the heck with Amazon. So anyway, <laughs> the book, the book is available. For example, if you're driving down Highway 66. And you, you're around Tulsa, Acadia, um, Oklahoma, on Highway 66. There's a place called the Soda Pop Ranch. It's right on 66. Okay. There's a great big, huge soda pop bottle out in front of it. Well, they are selling my book like it's sliced bread. I mean, I get like three orders a year from those people. So oh, I'm great. sure you can find both of them there, and you'll find the book. You know, just like I was talking about Terre Haute, it's in the grocery store in Terre Haute. But you'll find it country stores. That's you great, know, man. Or the towns that I've written about. Uh, if you go to Chattanooga, you know that thing about Sea Rock City? You know, that's a Chattanooga tourist attraction. Well, yeah. they have a gift shop, and they, you know, bless them. They've been selling my book for four years. Oh, that's you great. You go to Memphis, there's a place on Beale Street called Schwab's. It's kind of a big general store, and it's right on Beale Street. The book's sitting there. You know, it, that book will surprise you. You never know yeah. what store you're going to walk into, and there it is. Ted, we sold over 9,000 copies. That's amazing. That ain't, That's amazing. That ain't too bad. you got to be proud of that. I didn't know what he was doing, you know? <laughs> got to be proud of that. So yeah. any, la any last bit of advice for anybody who wants, who's considering – following the trail I, I think just enjoy it get a look at places where you want to go yeah you know say hey i've always wanted to been is it to this area of the country what's there you know uh there's coca-cola and and make it that kind of, that's what these guys told me that that are sending me their emails and, that we found places that are that where we want to go, where there's Coca-Cola history, yeah. it's got to be fun. Well, we talked about Placerville, California. Do you know that's where, where Studebaker got started? Yeah, so a lot of people don't know about Studebaker. That's, that's a shame because that's, that's a wonderful thing. Well, he started his first vehicle out there in Placerville, California, was a wheelbarrow. <laughs> he, he went out there thinking he was going to make money. In the you know getting the gold out of the creeks, yeah, and 
and he, he, he realized that he could make more money by making wheelbarrows to sell to the guys that were getting gold out of the creek. So, <laughs> you know, you know, Dad Baker made his first vehicle. Oh, yeah. Well, Larry, listen, I want to thank you very much for being here on the podcast. Uh, you've been absolutely wonderful to talk about this. This, cause this is all Americana. This is all this is. And what more could you love than you know, Coca-Cola in America, right? So, uh, listen, ha- stick around. I want to talk to you after we're done, and then uh, we'll talk some more. But thanks a lot for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ted. All right. Appreciate it. The Motorcycle Men Podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation, helping families stricken with the effects of cancer. To learn more, go on over to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate and see your money go to something that actually makes a difference. And, of course, the Gold Star Ride Foundation, helping families of fallen soldiers. If you would like to be a part of a great cause and get some heartfelt miles in, go to goldstarride.org to learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. Thank you for joining me and Larry here on the Motorcycle Men Podcast. Now, you can learn more about the Coca-Cola Trail by going over to the coca-cola-trail.com. Links will be in the show notes and, of course, on the Motorcycle Men website. Don't forget to get over to the Motorcycle Men YouTube channel. Watch some of the many videos we have there, including the Ted Shed and Ride with Ted videos. And, of course, we are now on Discord. So check that out and search for Motorcycle Men. We'll have announcements of upcoming interviews, shows, and chat sessions. And maybe you can even listen to an episode live or maybe just chat with us. You never know. Okay, if you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to the website. And there's a link on the landing page called Buy Us a Coffee. That's right. You can buy us a coffee. And that helps us take care of the podcast and get things going. So get over down there. Click on that. Help the podcast out. Every little bit helps. We just want to entertain you, make you laugh, and have fun. So for the rest of the Motorcycle Men team, thanks for listening. And remember, boys and girls, we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Ride safe, kids.